Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Logan Jones here recording out of the Awesome Inc. studio in downtown Lexington, Kentucky. And on this week's episode, Evan and I got to sit down and interview Bradley Davis, who is the founder and CEO of Podchaser. So we got to talk to Bradley about his background, how he actually started this company by posting in a Reddit thread, and also where he sees the podcast industry in general going into the future. So if you listen to this podcast, I'd be willing to bet that you pay a decent amount of attention to what's been going on in the space recently. Uh, so we've seen a ton of growth and momentum as companies like Spotify continue to invest uh, and make acquisitions within this space. So to name a few of the big moves that Spotify has been making recently, uh, they've now acquired the platform Anchor, which allows podcasters to publish on all of the different platforms. Uh, they've acquired uh, Megaphone, which is going to allow for uh, dynamic ad placement within podcasts. They've bought exclusive rights to the Joe Rogan podcast and the Michelle Obama podcast. And they've also gone out and purchased uh, companies like Gimlet Creative, which are full-on production companies that produce a whole variety of different types of podcasts. So a ton of money going into this space right now because of those investments that Spotify is making. Um, so we got to kind of nerd out with Bradley and talk about all that's been going on as well as the company that he's building uh, within this space right now. So we really enjoyed this conversation. We hope you guys enjoy it as well. We're going to go ahead and dive into it. guys we're sitting here live in the awesome inc podcast studio we got logan jones and evan knowles here uh, we're sitting down with bradley davis of pod chaser uh he is someone that just recently relocated to oklahoma city uh, but company was started uh, in louisville kentucky so we're looking forward to sitting down with him uh where's your where's most of your team nowadays our team is in oklahoma texas hawaii new zealand the uk and australia and and North Carolina. It's been that way since day one, too. It's been a fully distributed team since you guys started, right? Yep. Yep. Awesome. You guys were ahead of the game. Now everybody's now everybody's in now it's in now it's in fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Very exactly. cool. Well, uh appreciate you for joining us, man. We're looking forward to this. Uh your company is playing in the space that you know we are obviously playing in. Uh and you guys are playing in a really big way. We we're looking forward to diving into what you guys have created uh because it's really exciting. What you just showed us prior to jo- prior to recording was some exciting stuff, so we're looking forward to diving into some of your, your new products. But before we get into Podchaser or any of those products, let's let's dive into you. So tell us about your background, where you're from, your education, and then briefly talk about you know your professional background up until up until Podchaser. Sure. So I was born in Florida, in Jacksonville. Uh, I lived there till I was ten, and then I moved to Evansville, Indiana, uh, and I identify as a Hoosier. Um, as my my birthplace uh i lived there for uh, through high school and college and i majored in um psychology very very useful degree and i my my career path was to be um a psychotherapist what is a psychotherapist talk about i i I don't know what that is a psychologist so like it would be like a phd or psyd and do talk therapy um, got it okay which is actually what we're going to do today so <laughs> i hope you're excited to dive in totally so, change uh, the course guys That's yeah 
So I went to school for psychology. I got a job as a counselor. It was uh, terrible. And then I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and I got my MBA um, from Ball State uh, out of Indiana. And I professionally got into sales. So basically, after my short stint as a mental health professional, I wanted out. (laughs) And I was like, shoot, what am I going to do with a psychology degree? So uh, you can get a sales job just by having a heartbeat. So I went out to um, apply for sales jobs. I I had worked at Best Buy selling TVs. I was very good. I sold a million dollars for the TVs in my first year, uh, which you do not make commission on, by the way. So making $9 an hour. And I thought like, okay, well, what... What can I do? What can I sell in the Midwest? And quickly, accidentally settled on industrial sales. So for those listeners who have no clue what that is, um, selling uh, supplies and goods to manufacturers. Um, So I would be driving around selling. I sold packaging. um, I sold electrical. I sold a lot of stuff. And my first job was a... my first like big boy job was at a company called Kirby Risk, which is in Indiana, which is a big electrical supplier. And my interview was selling a light bulb. So it was me, a 22 year old moron, and this like 45 year old pro. And we were up for the same job. And um, they gave us uh, one of those flat Phillips uh, LED bulbs. Which is actually, I have, I have it right over here. And they said, sell this to us. I'm like, what? So I came up with some ridiculous uh, sales pitch. And uh, the other guy forgot his light bulb. And the, the, the number one rule in sales is you have to, you know, do the show and tell. So I brought my light bulb. I turned it around. I did my, my pitch. And uh, I, I was like, I think I was the youngest Kirby Risk account executive in, in like the 100-year history and um so that's that's my professional path um so yeah industrial sales wow. so how'd you get into uh how'd you get into the podcast industry from being in industrial sales what was that kind of first step into getting pod, ch- pod chaser uh, off the ground yeah so um basically i was like driving around all over um illinois chicago area indiana kentucky and Every day I drive three, four hours. So that's really great podcast time. So my my best friend, Cole, um, he introduced me to podcasting and he got me into the Tim Ferriss Show specifically. So I was like listening to every episode of the Tim Ferriss Show and I I thought to myself, you know, this is amazing. Like I am getting access to to me two or three hour long conversations with like billionaires uh, or artists or really successful, interesting people. And I felt like a fly on the wall and I felt like this was a great way for me to gain information uh, for free. So I'm like, this is amazing. So I, I went to get more into it. I'm a very obsessive person. So I wanted more content. I wanted um, 
a discovery tool to find more and more things. So I went to the internet and looked for like an IMDb or Goodreads for podcasting. And I didn't find anything, like nothing at all. So I posted on the uh, podcast subreddit and I was like, hey, is there an IMDb for podcasts? If not, does anybody want to build it with me? Uh, which is a terrible way to find uh, co-founders, but it worked. And that's how I found our CTO in Melbourne, Australia. His name is Ben. And uh, that's how I got into podcasting. So that's that's a, probably the best way to describe Podchaser, right? The IMDB for podcasts. So you guys are you guys are collecting all that data and then kind of go into exactly what all Podchaser offers now. At yeah, so state. IMDB is a great analogy. So uh, we we do uh, credits collection, meaning who's the guest, the host, uh, the producer, all the people involved in the podcasting. We do ratings and reviews. We we have uh, the ability to create custom lists with sections and notes. Um, so we're basically this big aggregator of podcast um, the, the the available podcast RSS feeds that you can then build upon additional data to help you discover it. So we're big database um, for nerds, basically. And when you found your team on on Reddit, how did you get to know them, and how did you build that that culture over time? You know, nowadays in the day of remote work, um, you know that's becoming a norm. But talk about your early days. You know, you they're on the other side of the world. You know, you couldn't just you know fly across the country and say, hey, uh, let's meet up and meet for a week and kind of get to know each other. Did you do that, or what was that like going you know going those early stages with that? Yeah. So, Podchaser currently most of our development team is on the other side of the world, um, whether it's New Zealand, Australia, UK, that region. Um, so yeah, that was hard. Um, basically we, so we, we, we've never met any of them. We, we were supposed to meet multiple times at podcast conferences, but, uh, the pandemic or like our Ben has kids and they all had a birthday, like it just never worked. So we've never met. Um, so to answer your question, when I first posted the Reddit post, there were a lot of people who responded to it and um, then became a, became a series of like dating kind of where, you know, we'd all got together in a Google Doc and started started kind of putting together the framework for what would become Podchaser. We didn't have a name for it. Uh, I think we said podcastdatabase.com or something like that. And uh, it became very clear uh, who knew what they were talking about and who didn't. Um, to me at least. And so it was a series of, you know, I think there's three or four uh, potential founders that didn't make the cut. So the conversation would be like, Hey, like, I don't think this is a good fit or, you know, I really appreciate you volunteering your time, but it looks like your skill set is not great for what we're doing. And then kind of whittling it down to ultimately Ben uh, ben and me were from the very beginning from from uh, Skype or Zoom. I think I don't, Zoom wasn't popular at the time, but um, from the very beginning of these video calls and chatting just online, uh, he and I had very aligned visions for for what a pod chaser could be, and uh, so we stuck together. and And um, I think that was the most important part culturally was just that the the founders. Uh, there's four founders, but the two founders at the time. Um, had a vision and wanted to accomplish that vision and and uh, the skill set to do so. So that that was once that's aligned, um, everything works. 
uh, in a perfect world, but it worked for us. So what did the the first version of the product look like? How long, and also how long did it take you guys from when you posted in that Reddit thread until you were, had something to show for Podchaser? I have no idea. I think, I think our first beta version, we were in beta for like a long time. Uh, I think it took about six months um, from Reddit post to something on a website. Um, and at that time in Podchaser lore, uh, Ben had recruited his brother-in-law, Ryan, who's now our, uh, he's over all of our design and UX. Um, so he came on board and then obviously helped us design the first iteration the first iteration was basically a single a single page that uh, highlighted episodes, and it was like okay. I mean, it it we did it was ratings and reviews only. The credit system was a huge, nasty beast to to develop. Still is really difficult. Um, so it was just ratings and reviews. But we were, I believe, the first podcast company ever to have episode level ratings and reviews. So that was what we were trying to surface was episodic content varies in quality. Like, for example, this interview will probably be the best interview you've ever done. Um, sure. And it's a five star uh, compared to your other interviews. Um, I think I saw Keith was on here. So that's like a one star review. And it's <laughs> helpful for future middle tech listeners to filter by the ratings on um, on a catalog of podcast episodes so that was the first iteration was basically just a single infinite scrolling page that had episode level ratings and reviews and podcast reviews and that was about it wow and talk talk about the evolution of that and and, and talk about you know what you guys have been launching recently because you guys have been doing some really exciting stuff then i want to dive into into that data and where and where you're getting it yeah so we from so first of all one of the smartest things we did by no I'm not smart, but we accidentally did something smart. Um, we made the first iteration of the website closed. And in order to get access, you had to get an invitation uh, through a, a code. So we gave podcasters codes and we generated um, three codes for every person who signed up through. So it was referral, referral, referral. Um, and that got us, I think, like, I don't know, a couple thousand users um, in the first few weeks. So we're like, oh, this this works. So that was a that was important, and the reason I bring that up is because the people coming to us were the people we wanted. So it was podcasters and podcast avid podcast listeners who wanted a, a more in depth um, curation discovery experience in podcasting, and then we immediately put them into a Slack channel, the podcast sorry Podchaser community Slack which I think has like three or 4,000 people in it now. Um, and it was just like a group of a few dozen um, fanatics that talked about Podchaser and talked about what it could be, what they wanted out of it as a podcaster or as a professional or as a listener. And that's where we formed a lot of what became our kind of core feature set was basically direct feedback from our initial core user base. Love that. And so the data you guys are collecting comes from several sources um, you guys are an aggregator so you're integrating with other sources and, and aggregating that and providing that as a product to people to search imdb 
Um, talk about you know the some of the more specific data that you guys are now starting to surface that you guys are monetizing even further with some of these pro plans and and what that looks like and how you plan to monetize into the future. Yeah, so um, ultimately the value in Podchaser is is people use it and come to it, find it generally through Google searches. So um, if you Google like best episodes of Joe Rogan, we're the first result, sometimes the second, but usually the first. Um, so like that's a way for us to acquire um, new people is people are looking to discover shows and our users are the ones creating those lists of best episodes of Joe Rogan, for example. Um, so as far as like our data assets, our curation ability from avid podcast listeners is really strong. And that's a great uh, SEO generator and, and uh, user acquisition uh, strategy. It's product-led growth, uh, which is what we believed in from the beginning. We don't spend money on on user acquisition or, or growth. It, it comes to us um, because of our product. So uh, the, that curation listability was a big deal. And then um, our credit system is another huge piece of our data. And that is... Uh, we have over, I think, nearly 8 million um, credits now uh, f- with throughout podcasting, which is just amazing, most of which is crowdsourced by our users. So they will come in, like you guys have added credits, I've added credits, everyone adds credits to, to the machine, and that is a great way to discover people, shows, content, etc. cetera. Um, and then, since we've been able to integrate and pull in data from hosting platforms and player apps, we have all this this uh, diverse data set um, that represents uh, play data, actual play data from millions of different um, podcast listeners. And we can take that and aggregate and um, take stabs at the popularity and reach uh, to a pretty, pretty incredible degree of accuracy of all podcasts. So gone are the days of having no idea um, the reach of, of a podcast on Podchaser, uh, the pro plan is basically you can you can unsurface uh, the popularity, the demographics, the contact information for you know over a million podcasts. So that that was uh, it took a long time to figure out, obviously, and and to get that data coming in. Um, but and then t- getting that data f- in the first place was really hard. But then being able to figure out um, how to extrapolate and how to uh, get accuracy and um, get these demographics and get everything together uh, was just like this juggling um, feat. Uh, but we finally packaged it all together. And, and that's the that's the pro product. And I think you asked me something else, but I forgot. That's, that's a really big deal because just from our perspective and just, you know, knowing what we've gone through with growing middle tech and knowing like we're just now starting to get into this world of, of monetization and wanting to monetize this thing and we see a path to it. But the barrier to that path has always been the data it's been so hard for us to understand how to communicate our value because we, we we know our value we're able to talk about it but like we don't have anything to show right yeah. and there's two sides to like a pitch you know there's the vision you're able to per- communicate you know what you do and the value you produce but then you have to like show the results yeah and one of the things you just kind of showed us on your on the pro version of the platform that we went over before we hopped on the recording was this mean median income or mean income of our listeners and like the top uh, 
jobs that they that they held. That was something that I think I've viewed on Twitter before, but I've never been able to see it for actual podcast listeners. Mm-hmm. So to be able to look and say, okay, the you know average salary of the people who listen to our podcast is this, and this is the top professions of the the people that listen to our podcast. I think that's probably one of the most valuable pieces of data that we could have uh, on our podcast. Almost right up there with the amount of listens that that we're getting on each episode as well. So I'm sure all that data is hugely valuable. And it seems like all of these companies that are raising good amounts of money right now have lots of lots of data. So have you guys raised any money and talk a little bit about um, what fundraising with Podchaser has looked like so far? Yeah. So back to the um, to the Canon. So we did the private beta and started getting some traction and um, then, I mean, I had, at the time, I had no clue what a VC was. I mean, probably didn't know what it stood for. So um, we started getting inbound requests for funding. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Um, people will give me money. And then with the promise of maybe statistically very low probability of me then returning that money to them 10x, 100x, et cetera. Um, that's pretty cool. So we basically decided like we kind of validated for, I think the first step was, was validation. And so the way we did that was I needed to find out more about IMDB. Um, I had no understanding of the business model or the size of the company. So I, uh, reached out to, uh, John Gibbons, um, who probably listened to this. He's a he's an amazing guy, amazing friend, and he was the uh, seventh, I believe, seventh employee at IMDb and head of uh, head of international revenue. So he was there from the very early days and understood uh, one of the very few people in the world who could uh, explain to me and understand, you know, a product led growth database of media nerds. So it's a very specific thing. So. I reached out to him and he and I really hit it off and he explained to me the scale and the the power of, of uh, data and how IMDB is also, the majority of the data is crowdsourced from users. So it's it's great. Uh, so it's, it's like Craigslist. Like it's, people are doing the data for you essentially. So once, once I talked to him, um, it was clear that we had a lot of potential um, that the company could be like, I mean, IMDb's been around for, what, 30 years. Um, no one's ever going to compete with them because they have this this incredible um, user-generated moat around them. So we kind of realized that, did some research, and then I just started, like, emailing random, like, Chamber of Commerce and, uh, like, KSTC and KEF and uh, slowly made my way through meetings in Kentucky uh, 90% of which were like, what's a podcast and, um, you don't have revenue. So, uh, please get out of my office. (laughs) Um, and uh, eventually I met, uh, Paul Ellinger, um, who at the time was with the Kentucky enterprise fund and Kelby. And, um, let me, sorry guys, let me mute that noise coming in. Okay, so Paul and Kelby. So I eventually I met Paul Ellinger with KF um, and Kelby Price, and they managed the Kentucky Enterprise Fund. 
and I I like pitched them like, hey, this is what could be, and we need money to um, be able to do this full time and to really see if it's got legs. So they they were the first meeting I had where it was they had a positive response. So at the end of the meeting, I remember I said, so what's wrong with my pitch? Like, what did I, what did I do wrong? And they're like, you didn't do anything wrong. What are you talking about? Like, this, this sounds really cool. I'm like, oh, okay. This is okay. Great. So from there, I met uh, Gil Holland, um, who introduced me to somebody who introduced me to somebody to, and ended up being like, I think 15 to 20 angels um, and Kentucky Enterprise Fund. And we raised our first, uh, our first like pre-seed, whatever you want to call it, um, through with a safe, uh, which again, uh, raising a safe with a pre-revenue company in Kentucky was wild at the time. I think it's more commonplace now, but at the time, um, a couple of years ago, it was like, uh, what's a safe? And so uh, that's that was our first round of funding that gave us like. 12 to 18 months to hire some people full time. And then um, earlier this year, we closed our seed round. So we raised a total of $2.1 million um, since since we got started. Yeah. And when you talk to um, the person that, that had been the seventh employee at IDMB, um, your biggest takeaway seemed to be their their business model and the way they grew um, but you know, looking into your future, they obviously they got acquired by Amazon. If I'm if I'm correct, if I remember that correctly, um, wh- what do you see your future? And, and do you envision a similar future where you reach this critical mass of having this moat, and you're able to provide su- substantial value in the form of some kind of data to somebody like maybe a Spotify or an Apple? You know, somebody that has that's providing the distribution of these podcasts. Why not mix the data? Where do you see the future of, of Podchaser going? Yeah. So. Yeah, um, IMDb was purchased by Amazon. Um, it was a, a very clearly smart acquisition because at the time was driving DVD sales. Um, so people would come find Tom Cruise was the actor on whatever movie and then be able to find that movie and buy it. So that was an easy value add for Amazon. But from a data perspective, IMDb was able to amass a massive user, user base and data set that was completely unique um fairly quickly relatively quickly uh because they were able to empower the user base uh, and crowdsource so we definitely see similarities there where we believe the that that long-standing moat is what it's all about despite who might have bought imdb if imdb had never been acquired it still would be imdb still be around um and so yeah we we believe that uh podchaser um, can be that sort of agnostic hub of, of data for the podcast industry, which obviously, um, in my mind, is is going to continue to grow and, and surpass radio. Yeah, yeah, no, we totally agree as well. And that's kind of where we wanted to, to transition the, the meat of this conversation as well, is kind of what's going on in the podcast industry. So let's kind of start by your observations of how you've seen the podcast industry evolve uh, since you first started working on Podchaser. Yeah, so there's the early podcasters were all like um, tech enthusiast, uh, you know, nerds um, who tend to be the early adopters of of many sorts of technology. And 
believe very much so in the integrity of the RSS feed, of uh, the free and open distribution of podcast through an RSS feed served to a player via MP3 or whatever. So that was the impetus of, of podcasting was we want to be able to communicate freely and openly, um, full stop. Uh, that's awesome. I mean, I think that podcasting, especially in our super bizarre media landscape that we live in now, it's probably the last form of media that's truly open and free. Um, everything else has been corporatized. So like Facebook or Twitter or Spotify or all of these big megacorps, they have some sort of responsibility for the content on their platform. And so there is there is some sort of required censorship um, or moderation, whatever, whatever you want to call it. So the problem with that is that because of the open and free distribution, there are limitations to the RSS feed. Um, the pro to that is that it's a pretty private, effective, cheap system. Uh, it's efficient. The downside to that is the amount of data that you're able to collect on things like um, demographics or you know uh, exact downloads, attribution. It's tough. So herein lies the current problem. Um, what Spotify is doing is not served through an RSS feed. So because of that, there's a higher degree of control and there's an easier path to dynamic ad insertion and scalable revenue. Um, the problem with that is that a lot of people who are drawn to podcasts are allergic to that sort of uh, targeting, ad targeting. Um, so like you guys said, like it's frustrating that a podcast has a certain lack of data, but at the same time, it's kind of liberating that there is a form of media out there that is still free of ridiculously targeted ads. So um, there's tension there. And that is why the data piece is a bit, a bit slow moving. I I personally see a world in which it's okay. Like the two, the two sides can come together. And um, if Spotify has, has their way, which they are certainly um, investing heavily and, and wisely in many cases, um, then the RSS feed, uh, I think, will always be around, but maybe half of the way we deliver podcasts instead of you know ninety five percent. So yeah, that that's the kind of the issue, um, and that's the reason data is so behind is because of fragmentation and this open, cool thing. And so it's do we mess up the cool thing so that we can monetize it better? Or do we keep it the way it is? Or I, it's, I don't yeah, know. You're, you're leading perfectly into one question that, that I want to ask is thoughts on the Joe Rogan situation. Because that is that is literally the side that you mentioned, you know, the open free speech world, which Joe Rogan is, I think, one of the most important people in media because of that belief of his. And then you've been talking about how Spotify is, is doing this on the commercial side. Uh, talk about what, how you view that and, and where you see that going and, and what that means for the future of podcasting. Because now they've got you know, Michelle Obama and Kim Kardashian, some of these other amazing people out there getting these exclusive licenses and rights to, where do you see this, this heading? Like, what does that, what does that mean for the, for the podcast space? 
the Joe Rogan acquisition was the savviest possible way for Spotify to increase their MAUs to drive ad dollars. No doubt about it. Um, the the attractiveness to podcasting to Spotify, of course, is that there's no licensing fees, um, but there are there there in a sense is with a hundred million dollars to Joe Rogan. So um, that was a I think that was a shock to the podcasting world specifically because I think Joe Rogan has always been so pro podcast and the the open free cool part about podcasting uh, propelled him to you know what I think he's up to like three hundred million uh downloads a month it's just wild it wild so he he from from what we see he is uh number one by like a factor of two um so <laughs> oh my gosh it's uh it's pretty amazing so yeah i think i think that was a pretty big um shock to the podcast industry because it was in a sense like one of us um it came from nothing didn't jargon had like fear factor celebrity but he wasn't Michelle Obama. Oh, he was um, grinding on his podcast for years and years. 11 yeah. years. Yeah. yeah 11 exactly. years. Exactly. And so making. I think everybody expected the um, converting celebrity to podcast listens. And it's an, it's an effective solution plan like with Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama Conan O'Brien. Um, I think everybody expected that. But to do it with Joe Rogan was, was uh, forced the industry to look inwards to say like, well, <laughs> now what? So, um, and then he's he will be behind that walled garden. I mean, you won't be able to listen to Joe Rogan unless you have Spotify. Uh, very effective user acquisition strategy. <laughs> very, um, but very very much uh, the antithesis to the essence of podcasting. So, um, how that plays out, I expect Joe Rogan's listenership will will obviously go down um, if he's not on YouTube, which is a huge platform. If he's not on um, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and all the other uh, podcatchers, then um, his his listenership will likely go down and and suffer somewhat of a hit. But who cares? He made a hundred million dollars. So like, um, I think Michelle Obama also went from exclusive to non exclusive, uh, probably to capture some more listenership before going uh, fully exclusive. So um, for Spotify, it's great. I mean, I think it was really smart and probably worth the money i don't know if you saw their stock price right after they did the acquisition yeah, but it was about 100 went up like a billion dollars in market cap or something crazy so um yeah i think it was really smart um from a business strategy or perspective but from from podcasting as a whole it definitely was a blow to this idea of this open free ecosystem that we've all come to kind of love and and honestly personally uh, when when I saw the news, I was I was kind of sad um, because, uh, and I'm not saying I I have no comment on Joe Rogan's uh, political or or his the guests he has on, but standing back from that, um, Joe Rogan was free and open um, and could had the liberty to interview who he wanted, and now that's going to change oh, for sure it's going to change yeah, that's, that's uh, not, not saying it's good story. or bad but that's going to change and that that is uh for podcasting at a, as a whole um it it brings up a lot of problems for sure yeah that, yeah, that was it, my biggest worry if it does actually change and i want to remain optimistic that he's gonna he wouldn't sell out uh i kind of was re- reaffirmed on that a little bit when he brought on alex jones again not that i'm a big alex jones fan but i was like okay that seems like kind of a 
almost middle finger to everyone who was saying he was getting censored by Spotify, because I think it's really important that that podcasting maintains this sort of free and open sort of thing, because I feel like that's why the space has grown so much recently is because it's kind of like that last line of defense. Um, like exactly like you said, it's the last place where people can go and share thoughts openly and freely. It's a stream of consciousness. It's a stream of consciousness. And I think that Joe Rogan was the perfect person to kind of be that partnership with Spotify because he's been so vocal about, about being that. So I really hope that, that it doesn't turn into censoring who he can have on and change fundamentally change his podcast, because that'll be a really sad day for everything. Once that, once it finally does go that way, he became bigger than, than podcasts, you know, he, he's like, he's like the, the free speech. Like when you think of free speech, like first one that comes to my mind is, is Joe Rogan, because one, he, he doesn't really show bias towards different political views. Like he definitely shares his political views, but he makes sure to have both sides on his podcast and, and share their, their thoughts and and you know you know like Bradley said I hope I hope that doesn't change and it's showing signs that it might it might be changing you know Spotify's employees and things that have happened you know certain episodes have been dropped and like had technical issues you know it's it's kind of scary what what's happened so far but I really hope it doesn't um, I wanted to I wanted to ask do you see a path as far as monetization goes and how Spotify is you know they're investing heavily in this they've actually they've obviously got some kind of vision on really monetizing podcasts to a drastic extent beyond just getting the rights, you know, to exclusivity. Do you ever view a, a time in history where it'll be programmatic ad buying like it is with TV where like, so with anchor and I always kind of like pictured and, and had um, a belief that this could be possible, but you know, they acquired anchor and in anchor, you could leave certain parts of your uh, podcast open and then you could insert, insert ads. Do you ever see a world where they create this marketplace where podcast creators upload their podcasts with, certain clips removed for ad space and then they upload that to a marketplace and businesses you know put that ad that ad snippet in there do you view that being being possible in the near future this programmatic ad buying that we're used to in so many other mediums or are we a ways off from that i mean we're there now that's that's why spotify acquired anchor so that spotify is is essentially doing that most of the major um Publishers are doing dynamic ad insertion. Um, sometimes you don't even know it because it's native uh, dynamic ad insertion. So it's host read, um, which is pretty cool because uh, the the host read ads are much more effective. And so if you can programmatically insert uh, ads that don't seem inserted, that's kind of the holy grail. So that's certainly where we are. Um, I think uh, in many ways, Spotify is kind of YouTubizing um, the entire stack from upload to monetization. Uh, so just like YouTube, you can upload a video, monetize it, get a check. Uh, Spotify is doing the same thing. Um, I think that in my view, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that there will likely still be kind of the independent um, podcasters out there who uh, monetize uh, through other means, uh, especially with, with podcasts within um, specific niches. You can probably get a little bit more money. Um, out of out of your content and same thing with youtube you still have direct brand sponsorships that are not uh, programmatic so i think uh in a way it's it's a good thing for the industry that uh, there's a proven model that can um, increase revenue uh, for podcasting so if that means the whole industry grows that's that's a good thing uh, but uh, listeners in general are not huge fans of dynamic ad insertion 
they love when the host talks about their Casper mattress uh, natively. So it'll keep getting smarter and better and it it's not going anywhere anywhere anytime soon. I think dynamic ad insertion will certainly be a big piece of the puzzle for monetization. Where do you see the competitive landscape shifting? So Spotify is investing heavily. Apple really hasn't shown the same willingness to invest heavily unless I missed some of that. Um, YouTube really isn't playing and seem, doesn't seem to be playing in the podcast space except for they're hosting a lot of the videos. Over time, as the you know, monetization improves and the space continues to grow, what, what is the space going to look like? Um, Spotify is certainly gaining grounds pretty rapidly. Um, Spotify is is transparently interested in increasing the amount of people who use Spotify on a monthly basis so that they can uh, serve more ads and increase their ad business. That's their model. Um, Daniel Eck has said that from the get-go. Uh, he wants uh, more content, so podcasts that don't have a heavy licensing fee to you know music studios and wants to increase the amount of ads he can serve to those users. So that's that's their strategy. And again, it's working. Um, Apple is generally not a very ad heavy uh, company at all. So they're much more interested in services. So I would imagine that there will be a, a battle. And again, it doesn't mean one's going to win the, from the other necessarily. It probably will be coexisting to where you'll have the you probably always have the podcast with with the ad um, in some way shape or form then you'll also have the ability to subscribe to that podcast or that network um, to remove that ad you can do this today with many networks have their own um, plus product or, or pro product so that you can remove ads or get bonus content but it's not very easily done natively inside any of these apps so there will likely be a really annoying um uh, walled garden subscription package that Apple will provide. They'll probably one that Spotify will provide. There may be eventually one where Google provides one and then each network's going to have one. It's going to turn into cable television. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, cable TV, if you remember TV 10 years ago, there's an ad every five seconds. And um, now there's, there's, there's so many ads in TV. Uh, consumers got really fed up with it. Then they started, you know, then subscription packages started coming along. Netflix came along, um, Hulu came along. And so I think, I think podcasting, the ads are going to start driving everybody crazy and they're going to start subscribing um, directly to the publishers um, via the major platforms. Makes a ton of sense. I think you laid that out perfectly. Um, I, can, I can see that, that path for sure. Um, all right. So let's, let's give some advice for anybody listening, including ourselves. You know, you have this vast um, experience with pod. Uh, podcast that we want to learn from what are some tips that you want to give to to new podcast founders or those that are that are wanting to get into the space so um so from what we've seen um i think that like first of all and this is such cliche advice but buy a microphone um you don't have to buy a 500 hundred dollar thing you just start with the 20 dollar usb microphone um, so make sure, like, I think the quality standard has gone drastically up because there's nearly 100,000 new podcasts every month uh, that are published, which is just like that's crazy. <laughs> so to, to be able to be able to fight through that noise 
if you think that you can just upload a podcast episode um, and it doesn't even sound good and you think you're just going to get listeners, that that's not going to happen. So um, definitely encourage people to uh, build a community first, uh, build an email list, um, offer some sort of value, whether it's content um, or physical values of some sort uh, before launching your podcast. Because kind of like with Podchaser, you want to validate the need for what you're putting out there before you just put it out there. I I guarantee you, if you want to get with your two buddies and talk about Marvel and DC comics in your basement, like no one's going to listen to it. (laughs) There's 500,000 of them. Like no one's going to listen to it. So uh, certainly differentiate your content. um, And it's all about like life's all about finding your niche. And like you guys are like Kentucky based startups, like that's, that's a niche. Good. <laughs> so that, that's what you need. And then once you, um, like for you guys, uh, it's like Kentucky. And then obviously once you get your Kentucky crowd, you can expand to, to the Midwest and then ultimately to like this side of the country. Like you can, you then can then expand that audience once you've nailed down, um, your, what, what gets your fans, uh, excited and, and get some coming back. So, yeah, I mean, that's really generic advice, but uh, nobody follows it. So if they were to follow it, it would probably be effective. Uh, I think the part where you speak about building a community, that that really resonates with me because that's I think that's when we really started growing an audience is when we were made a really concerted effort to put out good content on social media. Then we started getting into video as well and just had all of these different uh, mediums that are all centered around that audio that we record here. Like we find, you know, 10 different ways to distribute what we're actually recording into these microphones. And I think that's what builds that, that audience that, you know, ultimately drives the podcast itself forward. I think that's one of the most important, important parts of uh, doing what we're doing here. Um, but to kind of wrap things up here, we always like ending on a forward looking statement. Um, so where do you see Podchaser and the podcast industry uh, going into the into the future in the next three to five years, um, Podchaser is not going anywhere. I think uh, we will continue to grow. Um, we are thinking very carefully about exactly what we just talked about. So, where does your podcast community live? Um, right now, they live on many different platforms. So, we're thinking about um, going into twenty twenty one. We have a big initiative around community building uh, within podcasting on Podchaser. Um, through chat, discussions, forums, that sort of uh, structure. Um, To draw a comparison, IMDb discussion boards were legendary and they got rid of them because uh, at the time the uh, spam technology was not quite as good as it is today. The flaming, anti-flaming sort of technology was not as good as it is today. So anyway, uh, for Podchaser, um, we want to be the hub of, of the whole thing. Um, we want people to come to us, uh, directly to discover, but also to be utilizing our data and not even knowing it because we're serving data to other platforms. So super cool, super exciting pod chaser for president. Um, and then for, um, the industry, uh, as a whole, it's going to continue to double every year and get bigger and bigger. Um, I think we'll continue to see this awesome frothy M and A activity increase you're seeing more crazy numbers of giant corporations buying um startups and and uh content's going to get better and it's going to get harder to get an audience from from a podcaster perspective Uh, but the whole pie i think will continue to grow 
for sure. Um, I also, I've always said that fiction is probably the most exciting um, space from a content perspective. Uh, it, when I say fiction, people are probably thinking like, what's that um, exactly? Like, that's the problem. Like fiction dominates um, every other media, books, uh, TV, movies, and then podcasts. There, there's there's a, a big base of fiction fans, audio drama, uh, radio drama, depending on what you call it. So that is just going to get bigger. And I don't see why it won't be the biggest thing eventually. Uh, but right now, I think the limitation is that to do scripted, um, fictionalized content, you have to have a very high production quality. And that's a little bit antithetical to um, podcasting because like, you can just buy a couple of microphones and go. So like uh, sound design and production, I think that's going to just continue to get better. And then fiction will have a, a, a heyday in the next like three to five years. So I could definitely see fiction when I went on a road trip one time and we listened to a fiction podcast. It was called like Lime Town or something. Yep. And it was a big it, one. It was awesome. It was so cool. It was like they told a story and the sounds, the way they did it and everything. And I think that's a great prediction. I think that's something yep. that people High production, um, fictionalized content. Marvel's doing it. Um, Spotify's getting into it. It's, it's going to be really big, um, but it'll take a while for adoption to happen. Yeah, I love it. I think that's I think that's very true. Well, Bradley, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your insights and your wisdom and telling us a little bit about Podchaser. Um, we're definitely excited to get this one out and hopefully spread the word about what you guys are doing a little bit more. Awesome. Thanks, guys. It was fun. 